Tēnā koto i ahia. Good afternoon. Welcome into the panel. I'm Tim Watkins sitting in for Wallace Chapman today. Thanks for spending some of the afternoon with us. It's, uh, you know, you're a busy person. We appreciate your time. Um, <laughs> our panellists today are professional director and business consultant and former ACT MP Heather Roy and Alan Blackman, the professor of chemistry, chemistry at the Auckland University of Technology. Good to have you here, both of you. Good to Thanks, be here. Tim. <laughs> well, it's for us to get into today from banking rights to Twitter fights and coalition deals to sandwich meals. <laughs> I'm on fire already. Off the top of his head, oh, too. Right. That's <laughs> impressive. Yeah, you go. <laughs> there you go. I love that you think that was off the top of my head. Um, uh, talking about sandwich texts, uh, Kasha has told us that, yeah, pretty standard to start with, Marmite or Vegemite with iceberg, lettuce, cheese on some white bread, sure. And then add jam. I mean, some people. Mm, Kasha, what are you thinking? Marmite <laughs> and jam and cheese? Okay, keep them coming, people. 2101, your biggest and weirdest sandwiches. Um, but first up, on the serious news of the day, four becomes ten in the government's reset of the controversial three waters reforms. The three waters, you'll remember, refer to one, drinking water, two, wastewater, and three, stormwater. The last, of course, has been very much in the news with all the bad weather recently. Today, though, Labor announced the four companies meant to take control of water will become ten companies, saying that they will, quote, have a closer relationship with the communities they serve, unquote, while still making water infrastructure more affordable than if it had been left to the councils. And co-governance? Well, that stays. Professor Bronwyn Hayward is uh, a professor of politics specialising in science and climate at the University of Canterbury, and she joins us now. Good afternoon, Bronwyn. Kia ora, Tim. Um, welcome to the panel. You supported, the, have always supported the need for water reform, but like more than a few councils, you opposed the original plan. You submitted against that model. Why did you do that? Yeah, I um, agreed actually with many of the comments made by local communities around the country that we didn't have an opportunity in the bill as it was formed for local partnerships and local control over water, which isn't good practice. Um, It also wasn't clear how the entities were going to work with local planning, how we were going to manage water in disasters like we've just seen in Gisborne, or how we were going to work with fresh water, or even how they were going to help us save water. So for me... um, There were lots of issues. While I completely appreciated what the government was trying to do, there were lots of issues around the structure which were worrying me. But what wasn't the point of that? Was it, you know, to the message to the councils, well, if you can't afford to fix it and we have to all pay, then you lose control. That was was kind of the deal, wasn't it? Uh, Not so much. I mean, I I don't think anybody disputes that. I'm over here in Akaroa at the moment and our new wastewater system will cost $63 million, the little neighbouring... Uh, community with 100 people for a Canes Bay is going to be $8.5 million. Uh, all these little um, townships around the bay have got equally expensive water needs that they can't afford, and so we are going to need a, a, a new system. I think mm. the good thing that this 10 council approach does, if you take all the cynicism, and I think that's what really annoyed me, hmm. is kind of the cynical reactions to this, because actually... It makes sense to put 10 um, water authorities in that more or less match regional councils. And one of the good things about that is that when we designed regional councils originally, they were along water catchments. Um, oh, that's interesting. It, so we're going, back, yeah, we're going was, back to basics in a way. We are. We were the first country in the world, actually, to do that. And so it better reflects communities of interest. 
it's going to be easier for local councils to partner. They will have, well, the devil will be in the detail. Mm. Will they have, um, they will have ability to appoint. Will they have equal ability to remove poor performing <laughs> board members? That's well, let me, let, let me ask you the, the key point here. You, you were opposed. Has this won you over today? Well, I haven't seen that legislation yet, just the sure. changes. So it's the, it's the detail, but the broad strokes are much better. Okay. And, um, Isn't it and the, 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 the part of the, that criticism about the community elements was that um, one of the phrases used was that the, the government was setting up remote and unaccountable water companies. Don't we just now have more, slightly less, slightly less unaccountable water <laughs> companies? Not really, because we've got, they kind of now match regional councils and make better sense. They look more like okay. Auckland's water care. So it depends on whether you think Auckland's water care is marvellous or not. I mean, all of these council systems have problems, but it's, it's, a, it's a better hybrid model. And the other thing that I'm quite surprised and quite pleased about is that they have held the line on co-governance and that was the side of local control that was well articulated. What was missing was the, the rest of how locals have a say. And what it's, it is, is that as Chris Finlayson reminds us, it's not ownership, it's co-management. I mean, for many can you, can you just break this down? Because there's a lot of heat around this and not a lot of light. Oh, so let's just, you've got the two-layered system, right? Professional boards, as the government is very careful to stress today, professional boards, engineers and the like, who are running the day-to-day business. And, but they are appointed by these regional groups that are 50-50 council iwi, right? Yes. And I think the reason that the Prime Minister is saying that they're not co-governance as originally envisaged is because at one point the thought was that the actual boards themselves that were making the operational decisions would also be 50-50. But they are, as you said, skills-based boards. Now, that depends whether you think it's great that we have lots of engineers. I think we also need... Well, the Auckland Mayor does, we know. So I'll be careful about that. But we do also need local community practical expertise around that board table. But we, we do have the opportunity for elected representatives and iwi representatives who are elected presumably from their mana whenua representation. They're yep. big landowners, big investors. That's 50-50, but they're establishing the values and the guidance. And I think, again, looking at our community here in Akaroa, we aren't very good about knowing our history. So a lot of the disinformation has come from the fact that water is deeply important to all our communities, but it's been really important for farming, it's been really important for mana whenua. Here in Akaroa, back in the 1960s, the local council in its wisdom put a rubbish dump and a sewage system on the site of a massacre where hundreds of people had been murdered. And it's taken until this year to settle that and to move that wastewater system. Now, if we'd had co-management, we would have had a way in which we could have had values and guidance where groups were. It still would have been a hard debate. Sure, but, at least but we, we could have avoided... to each other. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. that's replicated right around the country. If you sure. look at planning everywhere, you see that kind of really difficult issue that needs local I, community responses. Understood. Can I bring in some of the panellists to join the conversation? Yeah. Heather, um, I wanted to bring you first, just because um, you know, I know you no longer <laughs> speak for the ACT Party, mm. but, but ACT has been very critical of yeah. these co-governance sides. Well, how do you feel about it? 
Um, I'm in two minds, really. Firstly, I I absolutely agree with Bronwyn that something had to be done, and it's it's you know a really hard job working out what the right thing is. Um, I think the winner today is actually smart political management. The prime minister and the government look like they've listened to the critics, but in reality, very little has changed other than four entities becoming ten. Mm. Um, and I do worry a little bit about these professional boards and the way in which they'll be appointed. So um, I think the 50-50 split between local uh, councils and uh, mana whenua, with, um, we've also told that irrigators are going to sort of somehow be in amongst there. But a professional board it would normally be the body setting strategy and priorities. But these local representatives and mana whenua are the ones who have been tasked with that. So there's a lot of water, I think, to go into that bridge, pardon the pun. <laughs> oh, um, very good, very <laughs> good. Uh, be, before we see the detail, and look, I don't know how that's, that's going to no. look. I also, um, I'm concerned about the $100 million that's spent so far, and what we've got now is an, a revised announcement. $100 million would have uh, solved you know, quite a lot of infrastructure uh, concerns for some for some areas. So, Although we're talking about 130 yeah. to 185 billion dollars of water infrastructure. Yeah, that's here. right. So, so, in yeah. all fairness, Heather, the 100 million would only cover Akaroa and Canes Bay. Yeah, no, but, and you've got little towns all around the country yeah. like that. And look, I absolutely agree that the little towns all around the country have huge problems because they don't have the rating base to fund the maintenance and uh, the requirements that are needed to provide no, and, safe water. And Alan, that's the point, isn't it? That that. Yeah. Um, and that's what the government is certainly trying to stress very hard today. This isn't about identity politics. This is about we can't afford not to, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, they're making some bold promises, I've got to say. So, you know, if you look up the article, um, they're basically saying that every one of these 10 entities or every, every one of the entities within these 10 entities is going to actually save money relative to um, just continuing with the status quo at the yep. moment. In the year 2054. Because these companies will take on all the debt from the councils. Yeah, and, and again, what, what's going to happen to the existing infrastructure? Do the companies have to then purchase that off the councils? Uh, my understanding is they will take it, basically. They will, they will, okay, so, is that right, Bronwyn, I believe? Yeah, I think so. This is, I mean, this is where the devil's in the detail. Yeah, but indeed. On the other hand, these are huge costs. I mean, and councils can fairly say, like Auckland, well, our water care is worth 12 billion you know how much are you going to give us if you we still want to have control of that so we can borrow against the money or so sorting Mm. that stuff out is going to be difficult but not impossible Mm. because i where i agree with the opposition is that you and i can't believe i'm going to say this but actually water charging is a way in which you can reduce water use and so letting communities have their priorities if they want to charge water services let them do that but where I disagree with the opposition is that I can't see how just ring-fencing the debt is going to help because all of these little communities can't afford the costs. And, I mean, I've worked in India, Ethiopia, all sorts of places and never got sick, but I have got incredibly sick here <laughs> from a water system that has dead rats in it. Yeah. You know, so I just sort of think, actually, we have a mega problem and... Um, yeah. We're never yeah. going to get the politics out of it because water matters for us. No, yeah. well, I was interested in the politics today. Heather, you mentioned the political mm. management. Um, Kieran McInulty, was the st- was, it was all on him today. Hipkins said almost nothing. Um, Nanaimo Mahuta was obviously long gone. And, and Kieran McInulty stood up, stepped up to the mic and said, right, here's the guts of it. It was a very down-home Kiwi bloke performance from McInulty, wasn't it? 
which he always does. Yeah. Mm. Yes, he's mm. good at that. Yes. Can I just come back to Bronwyn's comment about charging for water? Because it does actually put the incentives in the right place. And the moment people um, have to pay for something, it does make a difference to the way in which they behave. Um, so, And there are some councils around the country who are charging. So Auckland, obviously, Nelson, I think, charge. And there are a couple of other small councils. And water usage... Uh, you know, should be taken more seriously than it is, and by adding a um, a value that people recognise to it, uh, it does modify behaviour. And isn't that what we should be try- striving for? All right, thank you, um, mm. and thank you, Professor Bronwyn Hayward, for your time today. We're going to move on, but um, appreciate Thanks you. Lot, uh, and I would say marmite and walnut sandwiches, Tim. <laughs> yeah, good <laughs> on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But without the jam, <clears throat> that's memories mm. of my childhood. But exactly, without the jam. All right. Um, a report released by Westpac earlier this week has estimated maybe tens of thousands of Kiwis in vulnerable communities struggle to set up bank accounts. The report identifies rough sleepers, youth without family support. Prisoners coming out of jail, refugees and sex workers among the most affected groups. Westpac New Zealand Chief Executive Catherine McGrath said the inability to access a bank has significant negative impacts, especially on those already on the margins. And someone who's seen this impact uh, firsthand is Claudia Pereira, who is the creator of Brazil Kiwi, an organisation that helps international students adjust to life in New Zealand. Claudia joins me now. Good afternoon, Claudia. Hi, team. How are you doing? I am very well. Thank you for joining us. Um, Thank you in your experience, me. this is a common problem for international students coming to New Zealand? Yes, definitely. This has been going on for quite a while. Um, the students arrive in New Zealand, and of course, they don't have uh, uh, a permanent accommodation yet. They normally come to a hostel or um, a host family or a school accommodation, and they need to open the bank account so they can transfer their money for their country to pay the bond and their rent and their everyday life in New Zealand. But then when they go to the banks, they because they don't have the, the proof of address, uh, the bank just said, now we can't open the bank account for you. And so what do hard. they do? What do they do? Well, that is the thing. Normally, um, I help my students as I can. So they when they can, they transfer their money to my account, and then I pay their real estate. And then they have a contract, and then they can open the bank account. But it can wow, so take you're the, like two months. You're a temporary banker. <laughs> yeah, the bank of Claudia. <laughs> no, without, without earning anything, it's pretty much just helping them out, you know. Wow. And, and it's hard on me because a lot of hustle. I have to spend time doing the payments for them and everything. Um, I normally I went to a few banks, such as the AFB, uh, Kiwi Bank, personally, and we used to have mm-hmm. some ways to to prove the address. Like the bank used to send a, a letter to the address the students are living, yep. uh, and then when they are, the letter arrived, they could go back to the bank, and then they would accept that sort of proof of address. But now the AFB are not accepting that anymore. Uh, the banks Why? they are not accepting. I don't know. They don't give a proper answer. Um, and when the, the school provides a letter of address for the students as well, they say, no, this is not a letter, so this is not a proof of address. Uh, and it's hard, because what else can the students do if they can't transfer the money to New Zealand to pay the everyday cost? They have to prove to immigration they have this money to survive here for the time of studies. Mm. Mm. Um, and this, they, 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 are, they should be this money, because that is what immigration told them to have. And they can't bring this money legally, and, mm. and it's hard for them. 
Yeah. Ellen, what are you, I mean, with the students usually coming to, you know, AUT and yeah. into, into Auckland, is this a thing you hear about? Um, actually, not too much, I'd have to say. But, um, you know, I, I, certainly they do need to have, uh, I can't remember how much it is, maybe $20,000 or something in a, in a bank account to, you know, get the student visa and all of that sort of stuff. So right. they've obviously got it in a bank account. It's just not in a bank account in New Zealand. So It's making it tough. For, given well, if we value international students, we should be making it easier. Okay. Absolutely. And, I mean, you know, I've, I've opened bank accounts overseas, and um, it's not, it's certainly not, as easy as it was here, but maybe things have got more difficult here um, over time. I, yes. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, yeah. 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 When, Claudia, when is a larger university? Sorry for interrupting, but when is a larger university such as AUT, Master University, Canterbury University, and so on? Mm. Then uh, the student are enrolled in a, a post graduation or a bachelor degrees. Uh, then the banks accept the letter from the university. But when it's like a language school or a PTE school, uh, so then okay. the, yeah. the banks doesn't accept it. Yeah. And yeah. so we have to agree we don't have just bachelor students in the account. We have so many varieties of students coming to the country. Mm-hmm. Mm. Heather, what, what can we do about this? Uh, well, I'm not sure, but whenever I hear stories like this, you know, it's wrong that someone like Claudia should have to, you know, be yeah. the bank of Claudia. Um, I just, when I hear stories like this, I think that Jim Anderton must be rolling in his grave because by by this sort of measure, Kiwi Bank has become irrelevant. Um, when it's measured against the purpose that it was set up for. It was meant to be about helping the or- ordinary people to um, to open bank accounts, to be able to bank, to not have exorbitant fees and their money being eroded in that way. So the Kiwi bit of you know, yeah. tanga to people coming to live in our country should be... Yep, they should be included in that. They're, right. they're people who um, you know we've let to come across our border and so we should be making making it easier for them, not harder to integrate into our society. All right. Well, then. Yeah, that that would be really helpful because they, it is a struggle for these students. Yeah. Do, do you get a sense, Claudia? I mean, Westpac did this report. They say that they will share their findings with other banks and the government. Um, do you trust the banks to do better? Um, yeah, because like I, I'm, I'm sure the concern about is the money laundry, but there are ways. Mm. Uh, to to stop the money laundry, like me having a business in New Zealand, every large amount of money that goes into my account, I have to prove where this money comes from, and I have to provide documents that this is illegal money coming into my account. Mm, yeah, I'll bet. And yeah, the money that yeah. goes out of my account the same way. So that's why when I pay for the student accommodation, I have to have a paperwork for it. Right. And the mm. same thing is like if a student is sending, I don't know, a large amount of money into the account, the bank could could can uh, raise a red flag and say, hey, where does money come from? Why are you bringing such a big amount of money to the country? There are ways to stop that, you know. But the students that are genuine, they are coming here to, to learn language or do a, 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 a program to learn some new skills and experience New Zealand lifestyle, as we all know, is great. Uh, we should have a bit of consideration for them. Claudia Pereira, mm-hmm. thank you very much from Brazil Kiwi. I um, appreciate that. Thank you very much. You're doing down wonderful the work. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. lays down the gauntlet for the banks. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, Elon Musk. Uh, well, he surprised everyone. Um, he sat down with an hour-long interview for the BBC 
The conversation focused on his takeover of Twitter, of course, and the backlash his decisions have caused in the six months since. Has it only been six months? <laughs> Amongst a number of revelations throughout the interview was the admission that he only ended up buying Twitter because he was going to be forced to by the bank. Although certainly the amount he paid was being forced to by the bank, sorry, by the court. Um, but there was a particularly fiery moment, which uh, our producers are going to pay f- play for us in a second, when the interviewer claimed to have seen a rise in hateful content on Twitter, and Musk asked him to back up his claim. I'm asking for one example. Right. And I, you can't I, give us a more? And, and, and I'm saying... I, I, then I, I say, sir, that you don't know what you're talking about. Really? Yes, because you can't give me a single example of hateful con- content, not even one tweet, and yet you claimed the hateful content was high. Well... That's a false. People will say all sorts of nonsense. I'm literally asking for a right. single example. So take that interview. Um, <laughs> I, I, I imagine um, people listening uh, today could probably come up with a number of examples. Um, what do you think? Uh, panellists, have you, do you use Twitter still, Heather? I used to use it quite a lot, but hardly ever now. I don't know. It's sort of become a different sort of... Um, Avenue, I think, to to have comments and and uh, has it become more hateful? Do you um, think? I think it's become nastier, but um, I always come back to freedom of speech, and I think that these things are often self-leveling. Um, and the more you try to stop particular behaviours, I think often it just makes things worse. Um, oh. And if people don't like Twitter, there's plenty of other uh, platforms that you can use. That's true. Mm. Well, I'm surprised the BBC interviewer didn't just say, oh, Trump's back on Twitter. Yes. So, you know, there's, yeah. there's your hate speech. But, um, oh, for goodness sake. Um, um, you, I mean, he's got, he's, he's got too much money, this guy. And, and, yeah. you know, well, he's got a lot less since he bought Twitter. Uh, yeah, he does. And, and, yeah, I was listening to it on the way in this morning. He was, you know, he got asked if somebody offered him $44 billion for it. Would, yeah. would he take it? And he said no. And then he sort of thought about it. Oh, it would depend on who it was and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and if they believed in freedom and blah, 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 and all of that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, hate speech. I mean, this is kind of rich from a guy that went to court to be able to call somebody pedo guy. Remember that? Oh, yes. Yes. And he won that case too. God knows how. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think stick stick to your cars, I think, Elon. I think, really. Um. He he also has been winding up NPR and BBC in the last mm. couple of days by mm. giving them new labels. He initially called NPR, this is the um, public broadcaster in the US, um, labelled them state-affiliated media, which is the same label as RT and China Daily get. <laughs> um, NPR obviously protested, and um, he changed the label to government-funded media, which is what the BBC has now been called as well. And, of course, the BBC reacted to that and said, heck no, don't mm. make us sound like government mouthpieces. We're independent and always have been. Uh, it, Heather, he's, he's just, he's picking fights all over, isn't he? Oh, he Seems is to an, be his style. Yeah, it is. He, look, he's a smart guy. He's got a lot of money. He's got very few innate social skills. And um, <laughs> I, think he, I think he likes the publicity. Yeah. Mm, yeah, no, I think that that's probably what mm. it's all about. I wouldn't mind betting. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's got to try and earn some of that forty-four billion back, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what was it doing before he bought it? Was it making a profit? 
Look, you know, that's that's what I don't understand because seemingly, um, you know, ever since he bought it, the advertising just gone, you know, and and supposedly he says it's coming back. Yes, yeah, which is the point of this yeah. interview. I think. Yeah, I'm not sure that yeah. that adds up. I don't think a three billion dollar hole can be plugged plugged quite that quickly. Yeah, I think no. I think all of the directors originally the original directors are probably laughing all the way to the bank. I think with that 44 billion. They probably are. All uh, right. Yes. It is just gone 430. So, um you are on the panel with RNZ National.